Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Lineup with Dave Prodan, presented by Michelob Ultra Pure Gold. I'm Dave Prodan, and this is episode 46. The Cuervo Surf Ranch Classic aired over the weekend on Fox and WorldSurfLeague.com. A cross-section of the world's best longboarders dueled it out at Surf Ranch Lemoore with Soleil Erico and Justin Quintal emerging victorious. Congrats to both of them, and check it out if you haven't already. You can watch it at WorldSurfLeague.com. Appreciate everyone who's been engaging with us lately on Instagram, both at the lineup pod and at Dave Prodan. We do our best to respond to everyone, and we really appreciate the comments and questions because it only makes the podcast that much better. If the mood strikes you, we'd also appreciate you reviewing and rating the podcast on your listening platform of choice. The reviews and ratings help the pod grow, and they allow us to do more of them. So thanks in advance for that. All right, episode 46. As we barrel towards the end of 2020 and the start of the 2021 Championship Tour season with our Hawaiian events this winter, today's conversation with lineup regular Pat O'Connell breaks down five observations from the WSL Countdown series of preseason events, the Time Machine returns with the 1998 edition, and we answer the listener mailbag. Please enjoy the lineup's conversation with Pat O'Connell. The good old clap, take one. That's right. How many of you knew what you wanted to be when you were seven years old? I did. I wanted to be world champion. Hey, is there honesty involved in this podcast? Can we be honest? We can shut your fucking lips. And then I'll just say, put them up once. It's got. He's like, you look too pretty on the wave. Get ugly. We can talk about DMT if you want. It's not your boxing. The Pat O'Connell is back on the lineup. I know you're a monthly regular, but I had to check this like a dozen times because the episode we did with Salema was our previous one, and that feels like 300 years ago, but it Jesus. was last month. I'm not sure if that's a good thing. The world changes so <laughs> fast every day that a month ago seems like five years ago. It's, it's bananas. Time is a flat circle. I was actually, real quick, I was actually thinking that I did so poorly that I, because it felt so long ago that I actually just got uninvited. Um, <laughs> I'm happy that I, I, I'm still going at the cut. We're back. We're back. So everyone, Pat, in addition to being guaranteed a lineup monthly regular, uh, <laughs> also did a film called The Endless Summer 2. He surfed on the CT. He controlled the fortunes of surfers at both the Realm and Hurley and is now the SVP of Tourism Competition at the WSL. Pat, thank you for coming back today. Thank you for the nice intro and re-inviting me. <laughs> So did you surf today? We've, we've had actually a really kind of nice end of summer, early fall here in our hemisphere. Um, how, how, how's it been going for you? Dave, I have been having a blast. I was in board shorts today, um, which is we're in the middle of October, which is really, really cool. Um, had great waves at Lower Trestles yesterday with uh, most of our CT surfers who are in town. Um, and yeah, it's been fantastic. This is just a really great time of year. Uh, for Southern California, I think California as a whole, um, East Coast, a lot of places really. Um, we're starting to see some North Swell, a lot of South Swell, um, and the weather is fantastic. So I think you've been getting some up the coast as well. Yeah, a little bit. I um, it's funny because you know when you're on tour, you're usually in Europe this time of year, even if it's for like a couple weeks, if you're just checking in and coming back. And um, it's been a, a whole thing for me this whole year where I'm like, oh, the season's changing. That's really weird. Like, and it's it's been really nice. Um, yeah, we've had a really nice late summer, early fall up here. Like, like you said, like we're we're pretty wind dependent in Ventura County. And so we've had nice winds and 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 pretty good sandbars. What boards have you been surfing um lately? So I have um 
this is really funny, but, uh, you know, uh, Paisel and John John have started uh, the sort of, I call them Nerf surfboards, but they're not. They're like actual boards that are wrapped. Nerf boards, in, Nerf boards. Yeah, they're so fun. So I actually got um, got one for my son, Nathan, and I ride his every day. And I went down, I've been riding eight foot sort of like, it's like a little longboard, but it's not, it actually turns. So I rode that all weekend and then I've been riding just a little uh, shadow a bunch and then I have a fun Timmy Patterson. So I sort of go between all of them. I'm sort of at the stage now that the board choo- or the conditions choose the board. So mm-hmm. every day I kind of am open. I want to surf every day. I've sort of made a mental note and kind of like you said, we're used to being on the road. We're not on the road anymore. I am not going to let bad waves get in the way of me surfing. <laughs> uh, so every day, uh, you know, Tyler Warren made me a new board. I'm going to pick up, you know, that's a, a little bit of a twin with a, a little small trailer fin. So I'm going to find a wave that I can ride every day on one of those four or five boards. That's a good approach. I I, I was joking with someone the other day. I'm like, they're like, well, what have you been riding? And I'm like, I'm pretty sure I rode a neckbeard too all year. Um, until recently, and I begged um, Britt Merrick to to build me a uh, a Merrick twin fin altered, which is the one with the really tiny sashimi tail. And I was like, oh man, it's it's like a real thing because I'm pretty sure the neckbeard two is like the widest tail you can ride in that kind of size category. And then the MTFA is the smallest. And I'm like, oh no, it's it's uh, yeah, I, I'm not that nimble yet. But it's <laughs> the same thing where it's like, yeah, it's cool to like just jump on different equipment, and um, it's just been nice. It. Yeah, not having to worry about packing a bag or unpacking a bag. So yep. it's been nice. So we said it's been 300 years uh, since the last time you and I talked. Um, partly, as you joked, um, or didn't joke, so much has happened. Um, and, uh, you know, two things actually have uh, struck really close to home for us recently, which was um, Michael Thompson recently yep. passed away. Um, Michael was one of those figures in the surfing world, um, South African, amazing Hawaii surfer. Um, you know, kind of industry visionary in founding um, Gotcha and More Core Division. And um, he wasn't as involved in professional surfing when I started. So, so I kind of missed him. But I'd imagine that, that you, you had some interaction with him. Um, do you have anything to kind of add on that? Yeah, MT was a huge personality, Dave. Like, I mean, when he started Gotcha back in the day, um, you know, we were sort of joking. I lived in Laguna for a long time. And that was sort of, we called it Little Durban. Um, you know, between Mark Price and him and uh, Paul Nade and, you know, every sort of there's a local cafe, the Heidelberg. And at any given time, G would be in that mix. And, you know, they'd all be just sort of plotting and, um, you know, really, really great people sort of um, and just MT was way ahead of his time uh, and sort of built this, this huge brand around Gotcha and um, really had a vision for surfing that was unique. Um, certainly back in the sort of 80s, 90s, and into the 2000 era. And um, he was a a rad guy. I mean, he had time for me when, you know, I had first started my job uh, back at Hurley. He was helpful for me when I'd have questions and would uh, go up and have a a coffee and, you know, just ask him anything under the world. And he was an open book. So, um, yeah, it was really sad. And, I, you know, I hadn't seen him for a while and and, kind of had heard that he was having some issues. I honestly had no idea that it was uh, so severe. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, uh, that is one of the things where if, if you read anything about him or you listen to stories about him, he was an open book. I mean, I was reading a bunch of articles, you know, after his passing and one of them, he was just detailing exactly what his team writers made and like why it made sense or why he didn't, you know, and, and it was just, 
it was refreshing to read through in hindsight because everyone's so kind of like curated and guarded about a lot of that now, um, or certainly has been in, in recent decades. But he he uh, he certainly left an indelible mark on the surfing world, and he'll be missed. The second thing that happened, um, which was obviously big news as well, is that Surfer Magazine um, essentially let go of all of its staff, um, and and it's unclear what's going to happen with them moving forward. But you know, having had the career that you had, you know, part of the momentum generation, endless summer two, the CT. Um, what was the the first major um, experience you had with surfing mag- Surfer Magazine? Excuse me, in your career. Well, I sort of had a funny relationship with Surfer Magazine because uh, Larry Moore was my mentor and and um, Surfer Magazine was referred to as the other guys. So, um, I mean, I can I could go down the list of funny stories. I went with Art Brewer for a, and Kelly Slater to Barbados for a Surfer Magazine trip. And um, Larry was so upset that we almost defriended that day. Um, <laughs> the competition was so real. Um but, um, you know, Evan Slater was there for a long time. I mean, gosh, like, you, you know, you go through uh, the people at Surfer Magazine, and I, I have a real close relationship with Tom Survey, um, obviously art. Um, I go for days. But just the greatest set of people, like historically, um, the greatest photographers and writers um, ever, and just um, – you know, it's just, it's really weird to think like I, I, I'm sure from a business standpoint, all of this stuff makes sense. Um, I can't remember to be honest when the last time I actually picked up a magazine is that being said, it is a piece of history in time. And so the first thing I did is I pulled out a magazine that I had the cover of that. It's still my, like one of my favorite moments that I've had, you know, photography, like in a photo and I, and I opened up the magazine. It's, I think, the only magazine that I actually have. And I went through the images and it brought me back, you know, 20 whatever years ago. Um, and it's sort of sad because digital images just come and go and those pages come and go. But not in a magazine. It sort of like sets time. Yeah, it's, it's hard to explain. I think, you know, you get it. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I think you outlined it really well, too. Like, <clears throat> even in addition to like the the textual kind of impact of photography and magazines like surfer felt like it, it definitely held the standard on, on using surfing as a window to something bigger, as opposed to getting more insular and kind of self-referential, which I really, really enjoyed. And you listed so many great people that have been a part of it. And it's, it's kind of like in sports where they have like the coaching tree, you know, they got like the Bill Belichick coaching tree and all the people that were there kind of go on to do other things. And similar with surfer magazine, you know, the editors list like, have gone on to to continue to make an impact in surfing the photographer list and the writers list. It's it's it was really this awesome incubator for for talent and storytellers. So I, I do hope that whatever happens in the future, you know, that gets replicated uh, somewhere that way. Yeah, I just I think you know one of the things, and I'll just I'll, I'll stop at this, but that's missing is that um, there's that physical space that like an up and coming surfer or anyone had to go buy the magazine. Everything was so. Um, I don't know. It was cool to go in there and the the stoke and passion, but then also like a little bit of secrecy, you know, <laughs> Oh, like you couldn't walk in certain rooms because they were discussing either future trips or editorial layouts or whatever. Um, and it was just really fun. It was cool. Like, I don't know. I, um, you know, they started surfer magazine here in Dana point. Um, and, uh, you know, Bruce Brown had his office in the same area. 
So there's a lot of history in this particular area. Yeah. So I, it, it did hit home pretty hard around our community. Surfer Magazine, uh, they were in San Clemente, but just some of the more um, older kind of crew just were like, wow, man, that it's shows a change of change of generation. For sure. Well, we have potentially seen the final WSL countdown event, which are our preseason events. I know there's still a potential to run Margaret River, but but due to COVID and travel restrictions, it's unlikely. So I thought it'd be cool on this episode to go through five observations from you and I um, through the countdown series as we gear up for the start of the the merciful start of the championship tour um, as soon as possible for my for my tastes. Um, so we'll start. We'll, we'll go backwards since we're doing the countdown. So I'll I'll give you first a crack here at observation five. Um, as far as the U.S. event went, the Rumble at the Ranch. What what was your big takeaway from that? Uh, one thing is that heats work. Um, we've run leaderboard um, every time we've run the Surf Ranch. Uh, what we played around with was uh, for man on man heats four waves a piece. And, you know, after every eight waves, someone wins or loses. I think that was good. Um, I felt that on the surfing side, I I think there was a lot of amazing surfing. One person that stands out is Caroline Marks Mm. looked fantastic. Um, And that's no disrespect to her competitors, but she just looked really, really tuned in. And, um, you know, I thought Kelly looked wild and amazing. Like just, you know, you forget, like when you watch him, he's so limber, you forget that he's in his late forties, you know, Felipe, everybody served great. I just, I guess heat's work, Caroline Marks looked incredible and it was great to see Kelly look so flexible and ready to go. Yeah, I back those for sure. I mean, my my big takeaway was that the competitors were just really, really hungry and like amping to compete. And the Caroline observation, for sure, like that was clear, like both the men and the women were watching her like in the practice or even in the like the mock day on Saturday and and certainly in the event, just being holy crap, like she is at another level at the moment. And uh, yeah, the the Felipe thing is a good one because I've had a a little bit of a longstanding theory that someone like Felipe, he may lose a step as he puts on more muscle because his speed is, is really generated from his lightness in a lot of ways. And he'd released a couple of like Instagram edits over the summer at lowers where I'm like, hey, he looks a little slower. Like this, you know, this might bear out, but yeah, he definitely shut me up. Like he was kind of at like an entire, I'm like, all right, you know, um, but he, but you, you've, we've talked about that before too. And you mentioned like he is dealing with a back injury. He, he is someone who, who really needs to kind of be made whole before the CT restarts. Yep. Okay. Observation four in Europe, um, I'll, go, I'll go first. I mean, first things first, and we just talked about that. Like, I really miss Europe in the fall. And I know I said I'm happy being home at this time, but I miss Europe too. And that said, some years you travel over there and, and it's wonderful and crisp and the banks are good and the waves are everywhere and you're in this total rhythm with like the tide. And then other years are just like endlessly frustrating where you're like, I just, I didn't get a single good session. I was a nightmare. But either way, I really, really miss Sushi Phil's. Um, and then Italo flew over there for, for both European events. And so he's just like an absolute terror. Like we'll get to Brazil in a little bit, but he, he wins the Brazil event. He goes over there. He wins the French event. He finals in Portugal. So he's just kind of on this tear and he's releasing all these edits at the same time where he's in the Maldives or he's in Brazil, wherever, and he's just crushing it. So he's, he's going to be really interesting uh, as our reigning world champ when he comes back. And then the last one was Joanne DeFay, lineup alumni. Uh, two countdown series events, two wins. And, and I think for her, 
in, on the women's side in Europe, it's like that CT level. It's a real thing. You know, there were a couple of ex-CT surfers in those fields, but by and large, Joanne was just kind of a runaway talent. Yeah, Dave. I, I think first thing I would say is hats off to Italo. He is a world champion. He has found a way to keep us entertained all of 2020. Um, he's he's probably the most interesting surfer in the world right now. Um, but hats off to him for being such a brand ambassador for not only himself, but the WSL and, and his sponsors to show up and do what he did. So I thought that was incredible. Um, you know, when you do look at, um, it was, it was pretty interesting that we had short windows, no real, uh, waiting periods. Uh, the first event at Anglet was run in one day, uh, 20 minute heats the first day, you know, and. It did feel a little bit like the NSSA back to like me being a kid. And that's just sort of how it was. Um, and so, you know, I think as we fine tune and look at, you know, where the sport is going, it is interesting to see people surf, not great waves, but it's much more interesting to see them surf great waves. Um, and so sometimes you deal with those conditions and whatever. I certainly enjoyed both events, but Portugal having the extra space and a little bit of time. And, um, I really, I enjoyed that event a lot. The, you know, that wave can be a little slow and challenging, but certainly the, there was a couple heats and I remember there was a heat with, um, Kanoa where he did, uh, and I think it was against Fred to get in the final Frederic, uh, Frederico Marias. And it was a close heat and it was like, Oh, like CT standard surfing that got me really excited. That really felt like, okay, we're, that felt like a heat, you know? And I, I think the one other thing I would, I would call out is that um, everybody wanted to win. It wasn't just like, yeah, they were there. It's a specialty event at no points, no money. Um, but everybody was there and they were bringing their a game and Kanoa was upset that he lost uh, him. And I had a conversation the other day. We were laughing about it. I'm like, man, I just love to see how competitive he was. <laughs> and he was like, Hey man, I, I'm, I was trying to win like good for him. So, yeah, I mean, I think that's such a good point, right? Because at the end of the day, like they're looking at these events as, as really the only opportunities to perform, you know, until the CT restarts. And so it, it kind of, it, it it intensifies that competitive trait for them where they're like, I mean, I got, I, I, this is my only opportunity to perform. And if they lose, they're pissed. Yeah. Cool. We're going to get to the next three observations, but first a word from our sponsors. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly, it's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one of a kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Okay, we are back for the final three observations from the WSL Countdown Series events, our preseason events. Observation three, Pat, you go first. 
this one from Australia. We ran two events, the first at the Tweed Coast Pro and the second at the Boost Mobile Pro Gold Coast at South Stradbrook. What did you see out of those two events? Wow, Dave, I saw a lot of great surfing. Um, made me miss Australia, I can say that. Um, it's no wonder they've locked it down. They, <laughs> otherwise, everybody would just go. It's supposed to be out <laughs> of season, and they're still getting like swell all the Superbank and stuff. It's Jesus. Yeah. Um, let's start backwards. We'll start with Tweed. Um, my first instinct, uh, certainly watching the women, was they were in great shape. Like I thought Steph looked great. I thought Sal. I, I think all the girls looked really, really good. Tyler looked like on a level ahead of everyone when she's just aggressive and uh you know there's something about like a inform uh ct surfer where they may not need to get the best waves it's almost like they create their own luck um i felt watching that that was tyler i felt that she was just pretty motivated um obviously had you know the social um call out in the, in the event. She, she went in with a purpose, I guess is what I saw. And she created her own, her own luck. And I just thought she looked incredible. I would say the same thing happened with Ethan. Um, mm. There's a lot of, uh, you know, conversation about what the, where the next group of Australian surfers are. And, you know, you had your two Olympians with Owen and uh, Julian and Ethan just sort of came in and sort of said, hey, look, I'm, I'm in this conversation as well. Not that those two boys are not uh, at the top of their game, just there's another person. It's a clear, this is the next sort of person. That would be my take about the Tweed. When we got into, and, and I'm, I'm missing one major story there that I'll talk about in the next one from the men's is that Jack Robinson and Mikey Wright uh, when the waves are good, and even I would say Jack found a way, uh, you know, his the question has been, is he going to adapt and ride uh, mm -hmm. great waves? Well, clearly at Tweed, he was unbelievable. Um, and I thought that uh, I think he's, you know, and even going back to Sydney early in the year at the Challenger event, he was in the semifinal. He looked great there. Um, so he's looking like, you know, he's going to be a threat in all the waves. But when it came into that shifty hollow beach break stuff, Mikey and Jack were light years. They were just incredible. It looked like, yeah, just it was an entirely different set of um, playing field for them. Yeah, I, I mean, I kind of co-sign everything you said. I, I thought, yeah, gee, the, the women across both events looked so strong. You know, Sally looked awesome. Steph looked awesome. Isabella looked so poised. At, at Stradbrook, like she has like this really beautiful pace, like to her surfing. And I know she got knocked early at Stradbrook, but holy crap, like Tyler looked pretty much unstoppable on the Pizels at Cabarita. Like I, that, that's the cleanest and the sharpest I've seen her surf. And I think she's still coming out and saying like, I, I still only feel like I'm at 85%. So she's going to be deadly when, when the CT restarts. And on the men's side, same thing, you know, I, it's, it's crazy thing. Cause everything's obviously through everyone's own perspective, but like, it's been seven years since Australia won the men's world title um, with Mick Fanning in 2013. And to that end, like they really haven't been in the hunt in that space either. Like Julian finished second, 2018 and third in 2017, never was really in the hunt. Like at the end, Mick was there. I think runner up finishes 2014, 2015, really close in 2015. That was the crazy shark attack year with everything. But I don't know. It always felt like there was always an Australian hunter 
in the men's title race when I started really getting into it, which would have been like late 90s Audis between Taj and Aki and Mick and Joel. Like there's always like a hunter in the mix, even though like Kelly and Andy dominated for a period there. But there just hasn't been one recently. And the crazy thing is what you kind of pointed out is like Julian and Owen and that generation of CT hitters from the Australian male cohort, they're surfing better than ever. Like they looked awesome at, at both events, but your Jacks and your Mikeys and your Ethans are, are, are coming in there too. So it's going to be really interesting to see, I think, on the Australian side. Yeah, for sure. I mean, yeah. And I just, I, I also kind of getting back to the point when the waves are good, these are really fun to watch. I just, you know, it, uh, Tweed was a l- little bit less uh, exciting. It was more sort of technical surfing where um, Stratty was just exciting. Like I, I, I think I watched every second of every heat and just soaked it all up. So I, I, uh, I think that's also a great opportunity for us uh, in future endeavors as a backup site or whatever. I just, you know, and, and I would say from conversations in the lineup here, people watched it, people were stoked and it, it's, mm. it sort of served a purpose also is like kind of put it back on everybody's radar. I went to Bond University over there back in 2013 and uh, they didn't even have like the little taxi. So you had to paddle that, that channel across the, the causeway. Yeah. So <laughs> I think if we're going to use this as a backup event, I want to see the CT surfers paddle it and we should, we should video that too. That could be an interesting one with the sharks, Dave. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it always is. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Observation two uh, in Brazil. I guess I'll go first. Um, I, I personally wasn't a huge fan of the event format. It felt like kind of six events in one. And, you know, the toets were kind of unnecessary at the end of the day because the surfers were like shaving off speed and then resetting and then doing their airs. That said, I mean, reigning world champ Italo Ferreira continued to be unbeatable. So kind of format be damned. And I think it was fun for a lot of people that watch. But, geez, that guy just goes out and wins. And I think as you put it out before, it's like, it's always interesting to me when someone new wins the world title and what that next year looks like. Usually it's on the CT. Well, every year it's been on the CT. Wasn't this year. So like, how has he used his time? And as you said, he's continued to entertain and perform kind of regardless of whatever situation gets thrown at him, free surf, competition surf, whatever, which is really, really interesting to see. And then on the women's side, Silvana Lima, like she continues just to be like a hammer from, from Brazil. Like she is so lethal and if she ever gets back onto the ct she she could easily do damage um and contest for a world title again last thing from brazil i'll mention before throwing it back to you is gabriel medina's kind of been the missing man all year um not not just from competition but he's posted a few things on social media i've seen a few edits but for someone who is one of the best known surfers in the world he's a two-time world champion he's a perennial world title favorite he's been really quiet this year and Part of me kind of likes it. Like, I like yeah. that he's gone into the Fortress of Solitude somewhat because it's going to be that much more exciting when he comes back. Dude, I think the same. Like, I always think, um, I have so much respect for Gabriel. I just think he's always playing a bit of a game. Uh, maybe uh, maybe I give him too much, but I just think that it's, you know, him sort of disconnecting for a little bit is purpose. He's got a purpose. And so when we get up and running again, it will be basically a, really a year since we saw him last. That's, I think there's something to that, you know, it's going to be like, okay, crap, everyone's here and we haven't seen this. Where is he going to be at? And I just, uh, he's so skilled. He knows what he's doing. I just think when he shows up, he's, he's going to drop some hammers. 
And he his his sort of call sign is he's so deadly through the the final laps of the year. Like once we get into traditionally when we've gotten into Europe and Hawaii, he's just such a terminator, and he he puts himself in the hunt. Outside of the 2014 year, I think when he beat Joel at Snapper, hasn't ever really started that strong or at least that consistently. So it'll be interesting to see if if when we do start up and when we do start up in Hawaii, if that changes that pace for him and if that changes the way he works through the season. Yeah, for sure. So final observation from you generally, Pat, what, what was your big takeaway um, from the countdown series and, and leading up to the the return of championship tour surfing? Uh, that's a great question, Dave. Like I, I would have liked to have more, to be honest. I think uh, it would have been great to have one. You know, it's, it's difficult and the people always, ask me, hey, why don't we do more? You know, I think the way that um, each region kind of interacts with either local government, permit authorities, et cetera, sponsors, um, it isn't sort of just everybody one size fits all. So uh, some are harder to sort of stand up than others. But I would say I would have, uh, it was great to see everybody. And, you know, I think really leading into what this was supposed to do, is get us excited and ready for the season starting. I think that was done. I, I think everybody saw it and was like, okay, cool. Let's let's see something where there's some stakes on the line. And uh, so, you know, that's what we're focused on. That's what we're trying to do. And um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, geez, we say this all the time, like running a global tour is super hard, even under like the best conditions. I think in 2020, it's been particularly challenging. But, you know, it, it really dovetails into my final observation, which is, and I guess it's it's a collective one because I've heard it like in the lineups and I've heard it in, you know, chat rooms or whatever. And like people that are WSL fans and people that are really anti-WSL is they can't wait for the CTU to return. I can't either, you know, and, and I think it's one of those things where it probably hasn't been recognized as this in the past, but it really is the engine that drives surfing every year. You know, whether you watch it or not, whether you are on the CT or you market yourself as like an anti-hero, like it becomes this touch point throughout the year where people go like, okay, like if nothing else, this is where the world's best surfing is. And at the end of the year, we believe the world champs, the world's best surfer. And it creates this structure in a community that that, that really lacks it, you know, and I, and I say that is both a pro and a con because I think kind of the lack of structure is part of the fun, but I do think people are like, I'd love to, I'd love for us all to chew around the same kind of reality, you know, in a way. So I think, I think people are really uh, excited for it to return. I know I am, but yeah, that's, that's my, that's my last observation for the countdown series. Yeah. I, I, um, well, I think we're still, we need the time to get everything, you know, sorted. I feel like I want to fast forward and just get to event one. And, uh, yeah, <laughs> it, it, it almost feels like it can't happen fast enough, but it still needs to take its time. Oh yeah. 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 No, it's, uh, I'm with you. Okay, cool. So those were our observations for the WCL countdown series. We have another word from our sponsors coming up and when we return, we'll return with the lineup time machine. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts.
With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. All right. The Surfing Podcast World's favorite segment is back, the lineup time machine. So a quick refresher. The time machine is Pat and myself speculating on how the world title determination would have gone down in previous years with the forthcoming WSL Finals format. Uh, last time we did this with Salema, we ran through the theoretical 2006 contenders in the Maldives. And for today's time machine, we're taking the year-end rankings from 1998. I would have been 15. You were on tour, Pat. I was. And we're going to run the final five men and women through the WSL Finals format and speculate who would come out on top. And we're going to ask the question, what might have happened if the new WSL Finals format was in place in 1998? Same disclaimer as last time and the time before that. We're obviously aware that all the year-end rankings don't take into account future schedules, formats, judging criteria, mid-season cuts, etc. But we are operating the time machine based on how those years finished at the time. First things first, uh, the venue, as we've discussed, has not been decided for the 2021 WSL Finals, and it's going to rotate every year. Um, and it's going to play a huge role in, in, in how we kind of determine our world champs. So... Um, we picked four venues, excuse me, grab this thing here. We picked four venues that we felt would be good in September. And they are Nias, 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 how do you pronounce Nias. that? Yep. Nias, okay. Lakey Peak. Yep. Cloud Break. Trestles. So I'm going to go into Joel Parkinson's actual world title, world title up here and pick one. I can't wait. <laughs> and that is Nias. Oh, oh, sick. Have you been there before, Pat? I haven't. I haven't. I well, you, you know what it is. So can you explain for the viewers what the way of it at Nias is? So um, I think Nias has a couple different um, shapes and sizes, but typically it's, you know, um, sort of a right ledge, steep takeoff uh, with a barrel. Um, and then when you come out of the barrel, you sort of have a limited time to sort of either... When it's smaller, I think you can hammer it a couple times and do a, uh, it. It sort of has a, a fading couple sections, uh, and then or uh, when it's giant, it's sort of just hang on and hopefully you make it to the end. Iconic wave, you know, uh, super iconic wave, uh, and can handle probably anything sort of in the small range to more than you want. <laughs> fun fun note from um, the uh, Boost Mobile Pro Gold Coast at South Stradbrook is they ran that. Uh, heritage heat or legacy heat and brendan margo margison won um and he beat dean morrison beat derbage mark Ocalupo, and kp karen perot yep. and he came in and he said that's the first heat i've won since the neos pro in 1996 and i thought that was like the coolest moment i was really stoked yeah we used to have there used to be a qs event there and it used to i, I think it wasn't actually at there's there's multiple sections of the wave i think we were uh, further up the reef than right. what we typically see today, my understanding. Now, so we're going to go through the 1998 year-end rankings for the theoretical WSL finals held at NEOS, 
this happens to be your best year on tour, Pat. So yeah. I, I was hunting this down and seeing if you were anywhere near the top five. I think you finished 11th. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What happened? What, what happened that year? Well, well, I mean, actually, let's frame that a different way. That sounded negative. What went right that year? Because that's a career highlight. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. What went right, but not it's right okay. enough. We can start the negative. Um, it actually was a, it was a quite of, yeah, that was my best year. I made two finals. Um, somehow I lost both of them. I lost, I made the final against Kelly at Snapper. Mm. And then lost to Damian Hardman and Hasegor in the final. Both of them were sort of interesting, needing uh, small scores. And as we know, France, Tide came up. And I think I sat out the back for 14 minutes needing a six. Uh, that felt good. Um, <laughs> yeah. And so, uh, yeah, it was, it, you know, it's, it's funny to think back. Like, uh, I would say one thing that sort of bothers me, I never won the CT event. Uh, and I had those few chances you know i remember paddling out but against i mean kelly, kelly slater and, and damian hardman like where are those guys now like nowhere yeah they're nowhere you're they're here on, on the lineup podcast. they haven't been on the lineup <laughs> yeah exactly um i remember th having this weird dream when uh i was going to paddle out with kelly and thinking that he was just going to let me go because for like some tax implications he was going to let me win i don't know like <laughs> that was my dream. like that that didn't last um but i did I, I will share a really cool moment uh of that so him and i paddled out in the final and uh it was a beautiful day at the what the superbank has now come uh, this was before it actually became the superbank it was just kind of starting and uh you know there were thousands of people on the beach um beautiful beautiful day and, you know, Kelly and I used to, he used to stay at my house here, my parents' house in Dana Point, and we'd surf with 600 people every day, people dropping in on us, whatever. And he sort of took a moment and said, hey, like, look at this, like, you know, everybody's here, like, we have the lineup to ourselves, and sort of made me feel comfortable because it was, obviously, when Kelly surfs, there's a lot more people watching. Mm. Uh, and it was just kind of a cool, like, moment in my career where I could sort of take a step back and be like, wow, this is fucking awesome. And, um, do you, do you yeah. think he was intentionally trying to make you comfortable or that just backfired? <laughs> yeah. There's so many weird sort of things with Kelly. I think it was kind of an honest one. I'm just like, you <laughs> that know, might be the it. only time ever. Yeah. Like it was just cool. Like, okay, holy cow. Um, and I wasn't sure if I'd ever make a final again, so I had to suck <laughs> it up. <laughs> but you did, so. you had an awesome year and you finished 11th. So, so outside the, the cutoff. The other two surfers that were outside the cutoff that finished in sixth on the women's side were Prue Jeffries um, from Bondi Beach, and on the men's side was Sonny Garcia. So Prue and Sonny in the sixth spot wouldn't have been invited to the WSL finals that year. But given that it's at Neos, do you think either of them would have done much damage? Sonny would have done some some damage. I mean, on his forehand. Um, I'm not sure about Prue, you know, and this is sort of a testament to how far um, we've come in women's surfing where the women are actually surfing decent waves. I, I would mm. assume back at this point, you know, Prue probably wasn't um, challenged on her backhand. So, um, I, you know, I can't really say, uh, sure. but certainly was a great surfer. Just, I don't know how she would have done in, you know, I, I think we haven't defined what the conditions are. We've said Neos, is mm, it six point. foot Neos? Is it 10 foot Neos? Um, because it will really, and I think that's part of this, um, the excitement of this is yes, the venue, but also what is, what, what is the day call? Um, because as I start to look at some of these matchups, they become, uh, you know, I don't know. I mean, um, th they can be 
uh, very different. Certainly one of the people, and I may be sort of stealing the story here, but is Shane Dorian. Mm. Um, you know, Shane was fifth that year. Uh, I think he won bells. He might've, you know, uh, that year, man, Shane, as we all know, is an absolute psycho. Um, and certainly at this point of his life, he was surfing the best he'd, you know, he'd ever surfed. You, you call this 12 foot, uh, Neos and it completely changes the event. Maybe for the purposes of today's time machine, let's put it in the, and I'm going to screw the numbers up here, but like six to eight, eight to yeah. 10 foot range where it's like, Fair. there's, there's performance sections, but every now and then there's the psycho double up. Got it. Cool. I think that's fair. All right. So on the women's side, we're going to see uh, five to one is going to be Lynette McKenzie, Rochelle Ballard, Trudy Todd, Serena Brooke, and Lane Beachley. And on the men's side, 1998 top five, five to, four, five to one, Shane Dorian, Shane Beshin, Danny Wills, Mick Campbell, and Kelly Slater. So we'll start with match number one. Match number one is, uh, excuse me, is Lynette McKenzie versus Rochelle Ballard, who takes the heat at Neos. I, I think that one's uh, easy for me right now is just to say Rochelle. She was getting uh, amazing two brides at Burley Heads, I remember, uh, at that time. Uh, I think she would have been really tough and certainly, you know, was charging. So uh, I think, and, and Lynette was on her backhand. Yeah, I'm with you for those exact reasons. I think, I think, as you said, on the backhand, it's tricky. And interesting too, right? Like at that time, and as looking this up, it's like you had the 45 guys on tour, right? So those top five were hyper-concentrated. But the women actually had less women on tour than they do today. They had, I think, 10 or 11. So, huh. you know, number five is kind of in the middle of the road um, in, ter- in terms of what they're going to deliver. But I think you're right. Based on the venue, Rochelle, Rochelle gets the win there. Match number two uh-huh. is Shane Dorian versus Shane Beshin. Who takes it out? Yeah, just and both like crazy, <laughs> crazy tube riders. I just, yeah, this is a toss up, man. This is like, this is a must see TV. Like this would be a really, really good heat. Um, Shane Beshin at that time had one G land, even though it's on his backhand uh, was, is just an incredible tube rider. I mean, he, he is, I think the only person Dave to have three perfect tens in a heat. Well, that was, was it 97 at Kira? It was 90? probably, yeah, somewhere around there. Yeah, okay. um, and he had a 9.9 on his fourth wave. So obviously an incredible tube rider. Then you've got Shane, who is just an absolute psycho. Who was rated higher? Shane Beshin was rated higher. Yeah, Sh- Dorian was five. Shane was uh, Beshin was four. Excuse me. I'm going to put this on you. <laughs> I, don't, <laughs> I don't have an answer to this one. I, this is a heat I have to watch. I can't. Hard for me to say. I think this one's going to be really cool. I, I think. <laughs> Yeah, geez, you, like the conditions are almost agnostic. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna throw it out there that Dorian's gonna conjure up a random ten footer and do something that no one's ever done before under the ledge and be like, that's gonna tip it. I'm gonna go with you. I just, I think uh, I can't argue against it, and I just can't. I, that is just that's must see TV. Yeah, uh, Beshin for the record, l- totally legit too. Could easily do the same thing. All right, match number three. We have uh, world number three that year, Trudy Todd. <laughs> Up against the winner of match number one, Rochelle Ballard. Both natural footers. Who's taking it in the US? I'm giving it to Rochelle again. I just think she's uh, she has the special sauce. She can get barreled. Um, Trudy was good. I mean, Trudy did well at J-Bay, remember? She was, I mean, she's a fantastic surfer. Maybe on the face, I would say Trudy was better. Uh, but in the barrel, I think Rochelle has just that extra little thing that I, I think that... Um, I think she would out. She would get by. 
Yeah, I'm with you. I think I think if if my memory is right, I think Trudy was really strong in kind of like high performance beach break, point breaks, et cetera. And Rochelle was really good in barrels. And I think I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna theorize that the the tube's still working quite well uh this morning at Nias. So I'm gonna give it to Rochelle as well. That's right. Match number four, Daniel Wills up against the winner of match number two, which for us was both Shane Dorian. Ooh, conditions wise again, you know, and I, I think, um, you know, Danny at this year was, uh, I mean, he was on fire. I think this is the year he won two events in Japan, both small waves sort of things, but he wasn't a sucker in bad way in good waves. Like he was absolutely incredible, but sort of along the same lines is like, you know, he beautiful on the open face. And if it's, if it's a tube event, I'm going Shane. I'm going to agree with you um, based on your, your clearly you had a, a better kind of touch point than I did at the time you were on <laughs> tour, but I, everything you said, I agree with from a, from a fan standpoint. And it was also kind of pre webcast. So it was like, I was reading about it in the magazine. I'm like, yeah, it's totally match. Number five, Serena Brooke against our, our sort of juggernaut from match one, Rochelle Ballard. Yeah. So, so it's and maybe just because I saw this, I follow Serena on Instagram, and she has, <laughs> uh, or maybe Tom Survey put it up, but it's this beautiful sequence of her in a long tube ride, um, which made me realize I had gone on uh, at the time. I rode for Rusty, and so did Serena. So I went on a few trips with her, and she was actually really, really good. Uh, she was good in the barrel, but she was really good in in sort of reefy waves. I, I think this goes into a little bit of the the design, and Rochelle has surfed two heats now. I think probably had a couple wipeouts along the way. I think Serena gets this, and I think she gets this for two reasons. One, she's a great surfer, but I also think there's a little fatigue coming. And certainly if it's sort of that six to eight foot range, there's a few wipeouts, and I think Serena would find a way her way through that heat. Yeah, I, I'm with you. Like, I, If I'm looking at this, this women's card at, at, at 98, I'm giving it to Rochelle across these first two matches based on the strength of her forehand and also the tube riding. I think when she runs into Serena, like Serena's a fantastic tube rider as well, but she's also has this like gorgeously fluid forehand um, approach, right? On, on like turns. Yep. Um, so I'm, I'm with you. We're, we're very aligned this week. <laughs> I like this. It must be the, it must be the time apart since it was so long. And now well, we just, I also yeah. think you're, you're going, dude, these are old heats. These are old. People. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to rely on the old. Heat just, in the yes. room. <laughs> I, I'm just like, whatever you say, Pat, I don't want to like step <laughs> on my own words here. Mm. Um, all right. Match six. This might be where we differ. We have, um, the ginger ninja, Mick Campbell, goofy footer. Yep. Up against our boy from match two, Shane Dorian. Yeah, I. Uh, so I think this is the first time that there's a little bit of contrast um, outside of Lynette and Rochelle, but just where you've got a goofy foot and a regular foot. You know, one thing that Mick will win on in this battle is uh, sort of in the lip surfing. He his backhand was was so precise, and and he was a tenacious competitor. You know, it just comes down to that sort of magic tube ride. Does Shane pull out that sort of eight to nine point ride to, to you know, because I think if it's on turns, I think Mick's going to get Shane in those mm -hmm. conditions. But I think it's a tube ride day and I think he's going to get by him. And I think it's, he's, yeah, he's going to, it's, it's Shane's going to find his way to the final is, is what I think. I think, you know, going kind of back into format for Shane, this is the ideal scenario 
uh, which potentially could have found his way into a world title, um, where he has a chance in a, in a unique uh, environment um, to potentially find a way to get a world championship. You make a convincing case. <laughs> I'm, I'm, it's not that I'm disagreeing with you, but I am going to go with Mick Campbell because I do think on the day, outside of Lynette McKenzie, he's going to be the first person we see on his backhand. Yeah. And when he came back to the tour, I'm trying to remember when this was. It must have been like late oddies, like 08, 09 maybe. I was just so impressed by, number one, how strong he was. Number two, how psychologically sharp he was. Number three, just how lethal his backhand was. The first event he came back for was at the Gold Coast at Snapper Rocks. And like he was really one of the only goofy footers in that event that was like threading the barrel, coming out, like going 12 o'clock on his backhand. Same thing at J-Bay over the, those course of those few years. And, and I think, you know, in 98, you could argue that he might have been at the peak of his powers in terms of surfing. He, he got stronger and sharper, but... But I think in terms of like radicalness and, and fluidness and, and, and just sort of mongrel competitor, I'm going to give it, I'm going to, I'm going to say the wind comes up slightly, the barrel's not as intense and, and Campbell takes it. Yep. I think that's fair. Okay, good. Good. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We're here for the women's final. It's the best two out of three. Um, Serena Brooke, our winner from match five is coming up against Lane, Lane Beachley at Nias, who is taking the title. Yeah, I think, um, I mean, this is right in the middle of Lane's uh, run. I, I think anybody have, is going to have a hard time with Lane. And certainly in those conditions, yeah, I think, uh, and I, I don't know if there is even a break. I don't know if if Serena gets a heat over her or not. Um, certainly, I mean, she had a great year. She was second in the world coming into this event. I just do feel like Lane at that point was a good gap better than everybody else. Certainly competing wise, she was. So, uh, yeah, I, I'm not sure if it's she needs three heats to do it, but I think she's clearly the winner. Yeah. And it's funny. I wrote the same thing down. I put Lane in two. Um, and, and I think for all the reasons you outlined, I think she was a fantastic surfer. I think she was an even better competitor. Like, and I know this is a different format, but I think she would actually thrive in this format and like really enjoy being the number one seed and using the psychological advantage of, of, being sort of the big boss at the end of the game. Um, yep. And I, I think she'd have her way for sure. Men's final, best two of three. We have Kelly Slater uh, for you facing Shane Dorian and for me facing Mick Campbell. Who you got? Well, I want, I just sort of go back. So this is uh, way too, um, too old for most of our viewers. Um, but Shane and Kelly surfed in the World Junior Final and they started surfing switchfoot their first wave. <laughs> I think the bigger question uh, for me is that, do they start off switchfoot? <laughs> and does one of them break a board doing that? What, what, but what do you think? Do you think they do? Yeah, I think they do. I think they do. Uh, for sure they do. So, um, so the first heat could go either way. Um, look, I think Kelly in 98 is, is – you know, I, it's interesting that year. I think he actually only won one event. Uh, maybe mm. he won the final event too at Pipeline. But uh, going into Pipe, he had only won the one event. So I would say, yeah, he, he was due. Um, he probably, I, I think at that point, I'm not sure it goes all three events. And only, again, from my side is with Shane. Shane's now had multiple heats. Um mm. 
and he's probably pretty beat. And Shane goes for it pretty hard. So he's had a couple swims through the lagoon and et cetera. So, um, but I think Kelly, Kelly gets to win. Interesting. I, I want to ask, um, like, so, so Kelly, he had his five world titles. He was a 92, 94, 96, 97 before this year, 98. Shane, Shane had been on tour for a while, didn't have any titles. How hungry was Shane as a competitor? Do you think that would have played into it? Like if he'd gone like, this is my shot to mm. get a world title. Do you think that motivates him on the day? Well, that's sort of what I was alluding to before is that Shane's chance to win a world title was probably going to re- be wrapped up in an exotic location like this and having that moment. So yeah, for sure. I think he would have felt like this is his chance for sure. So yeah, I think Shane will put up as big of a fight as he can, but you know, look, he's served against Shane Beshin's one heat, Danny Wills, yep. the second heat, Mick Campbell, a third heat. Now he's in his fourth heat mm-hmm. um, against Kelly and he needs to beat him two of three times. Beating Kelly two of three times, I don't care if you've if you've been you know resting for weeks. It's going to be hard at that time, no matter what. Um, mm. And so, uh, and the thing about Kelly, he doesn't have a weak side of his of his repertoire. Right. If it's six foot in barreling, if it's twenty foot in barreling, whatever, um, he's going to perform. So I, I just whether Shane gets it to go to three. I think regardless if he does, the third heat is, is, is sort of a blowout because I think that, you know, Kelly just has, he's there and ready. In the event that Kelly doesn't beat Shane Dorian, doesn't win his sixth world title, do you think he steps away from the tour still? Because he, he did, like after the 98 title, right? He stepped away in 99, 2000, 2001. I think he did a couple wildcard events, but he kind of retired from competition. So do you think that if he doesn't win 98, that he still does that? Or do you think he comes back and tries to win more titles? Yeah, that's a really good question. I think he was ready for a break. I think uh, we've seen it a lot with those high-performing surfers that they want to have a break. I don't know if he walks away if he doesn't win that heat with Shane, because I think it might that might be enough to just go, wait, 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 you know, and not walk away. So it's a Pretty interesting question. Um, we'll have to get Kelly in next time to <laughs> answer this. It, yeah, I mean, I, it's funny. Like, I, I, I don't obviously don't have an answer, but yeah, just playing armchair psychologist. Like, if he if he gets close to the title and doesn't win, I have a hard time thinking he steps away comfortably. Like, if he didn't actually qualify for the finals that year and was like, you know what, I've got five world titles, I'm good, I'm still stepping away. It's probably easier for him to do that than if he like I was I was there. And I lost at the last second. But sort of like those quarterbacks and stuff that make the Super Bowl and, you know, and something doesn't work out. Is it, right. do they feel like fulfilled at the end of the year or do they feel like, you know, I, I have to get back after it because I didn't, uh, I didn't make it, you know? So I, I think it's a, it's a great question. Um, I remember at that time, like Kelly was pretty burnt and, you know, he really does like, I mean, he, he puts so much into it. Like it's, it's kind of all consuming for him. So um, I get a feeling he probably still would have walked away, but the competitive thing and what's interesting with him and Shane, uh, obviously great friends, but I wonder if that would have sort of pushed it one way and just said, okay, you know, um, at that point, all his friends are on tour. It's like, Hey, you know, maybe I need to just keep doing this. I don't know. It's uh, yeah, sliding doors. I, I do have uh, Kelly over Mick Campbell in the final as well. I don't know if Mick even gets a heat on him. Like I think in 98, 
at that kind of a wave with with Kelly's powers, both both tube riding, like power surfing, and and I I wouldn't it wouldn't shock me that in that platform he pushes it and starts doing like fin throws or or even kind of airs. Like I know it's not really an air wave, but like really kind of radical surfing and drawing different lines and having fun yeah. with it. And it could just be like a total blowout. So I, I still give it to Kelly out of Neos in '98. Yep, great. Cool. So that was our time machine, our lineup time machine. Uh, I think it's the fourth one we've done. These are really fun. Um, it's nice, I will say, to just bring. And one thing is that you know you start to see some trends. Uh, it's mm. as much as some of the people who will listen might not know intuitively some of these surfers. It is just nice to sort of break out of the because there's periods of time where you sort of get the Andy Parko, Mick, Kelly, like where that just sort of kind of repeats itself. Of course. Fun to kind of have a little bit of free space and think about something totally different. Yeah. And for me too, like, you know, I love a like alternate realities kind of thing where I'm like, but, but often, you know, when we go through the exercise, I'm like, now the world champ still wins the final because they were the best surfer that year, you know, like very rarely like Andy Irons cases. Do my like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I would have changed or something like that or Mick Fanning. Um, but yeah, no, I, I, I think you're right. And, and those trends are really fun to identify. So before we go, we have our fan mail. So thanks to everyone that writes into, uh, at the lineup pod on Instagram gives us uh, questions to answer. So I've got the first question for you, Pat. It's from G Brian and it is Pat. What is your favorite break in October in Orange County? Well, he's also asked you, Dave, what's your favorite in the Santa Barbara Ventura area? I will say sort of everywhere is fun this time of year. Um, I guess Strussels has been fun. Um, certainly Salt Creek is not fun this time of year. There's no sand. So um, mostly I'm driving away from my house. So also have been surfing Oceanside a bit, and that's been fun. How about you, Dave? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think, uh, if we get those combo swells, like a lot of the beach breaks around here, you just kind of, it, it's funny that, you know, we're not in France this year and kind of the game when you're in France is you kind of have to hunt the sand cause it moves up and down the beach and you're like, yeah. Oh, the bar here, the bar there. And it's, it's not exactly the same, but it's similar up here where you're like, where's the sand and you're calling people and texting people and they're texting you. And so, but my favorite place to surf, um, anytime it's on is, uh, uh, get Can you say that and... out loud? Is that? <laughs> yeah, don't worry. I've got Ryan Fawcett's gonna um, bleep that part out. So okay. it's funny. Yeah. Like, I, 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 yeah. There's a there's this account on Instagram called the Green Room Times, which is like this funny, like kind of like the Onion for surfing, and yep. it comes up with these headlines. And one the other day was like local goofy footer spots left hander at right hand point break, and I'm like, so true. Like, it's, <laughs> <laughs> it's I'm gonna read the caption because it's so good. It's like. A goofy footer has this morning managed to find a one foot chunk of wind chop breaking in the general direction of a left to surf at a popular right hand point. I'm like, I've been, I've been that person more times than I care to count. You goofy footers, Rob Machado is the same way, yeah, man. He can find right. a left at, at J Bay, man. It's crazy. <laughs> so heavy. Um, okay, so uh, I got one for you. Cheers, Nicole asks. Um, Hey, thoughts on mic'd up competitors? They love the stab event. It's also a shame that Tyler doesn't have Olymp an Olympic spot. She looks amazing for him. Dave, what's your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I love mic'd up competitors. I um, I think Nike actually tried it years and years ago when they used to run the lowers QS event. And I remember the morning they did it, they they mic'd up like one heat, and it was like Julian Wilson was surfing for Nike, and he was like a wild card, and it's like you know, scratching the surface had come out and everyone's like, Oh my God, this is sort of the next torchbearer for Australia. Um, and he was out there and it was really foggy. 
Um, and it was kind of crappy. It was like kind of two foot lowers. It was a four person heat and everyone was mic'd up. And I remember Kai Otten was in the heat. I can't remember the other two guys. And like something had happened where like they hassled each other in the fog and all that was coming through over the broadcast was like, go fuck yourself and fuck you. And I was just, it was literally the first heat they tried to mic up and I'm like, this is gold. And like the broadcast people like lost their shit and they had to like pull the bikes off. But I'm like, I'm all for it. I think, I think we should, I think we should mic everyone up as much as possible. And then brilliant. Yeah. On the Tyler point, like she is an amazing form though. I think that was one of our observations. She looks like unstoppable on those Pizels. It, it is a shame she doesn't get an Olympic spot. I think the Olympics, it's, it's something completely different. You know, it's not the world title. It's not the best surfers in the world. It's surfers that get to represent their country in this really cool platform. So it's a different thing. And I think for Tyler, who is coming back from injury, she's focused on getting back yeah, to being titles. the best surfer in the world. And yeah. that's her focus. So I don't think she's too broken up about the Olympic thing. Yeah, that's fair. All right. Next question is from Liam.rigs.96 for you, Pat. Yeah. What will be the next country that will be the quote storm of surfing? That's a good question. Such a good question. Um, yeah, that's a great question. I, I'm not sure if I'm, I'm, I'm really way too biased. So I'm just going to start with that. Um, I paddled out lower trestles yesterday and watched five-year-olds do, you know, <laughs> full bottom turns and air flips. Um, I'm somewhat exaggerating, but not really. So, um, I just, I see the storm of surfing. I just, I see surfing as a whole, uh, the level going up. I mean, Jackson Dorian is doing backflips. I saw Aaron Brooks uh, pack a 10 foot wave at bank vaults. Um, I think just the storm of surfing is going to be the youth. I, I don't know how, uh, and I'm just not sure what country it is. I just, there's so many good kids now. And um, the level of um, mentoring and coaching they're getting is through the roof. Um, I, I just, yeah, I think anybody under 15 right now, um, uh, younger, 12, I mean, shoot, it's so young. Um, the world is just completely open to them. So I know that was probably not exactly, didn't answer your question, but uh, certainly that's sort of where my head is at. I think it's fair. I mean, I think it's it's really just like an action reaction. I think if you look at the Brazilian storm, like that was the action. And then the reaction, it's hard to pick because you look at Australia, they may have a resurgence. You look at America or Hawaii, like they're going to have a risk. Like, I just think it's that that's part of the proliferation, right? Which is really cool. Yeah. Um, so Dave, uh, Blake Follis, Follis, Follis asks, uh, so Monday was Indigenous People Day in, in America. Uh, when are we going to see no more Native Americans involved in surfing? Yeah, I mean, that's a that's a really good question. And it, it's one of those, it, it's a really interesting thing, like across the world, when you talk about like indigenous surfers and indigenous communities. And um, I'll be totally honest, like, I'm not super familiar with like indigenous Native Americans and, and those communities and how interact and how they interact with the surfing world right now. Um, and I think it's a function of you know, the WSL for years and years and years, like we've been focused on like this elite tier of competition and the the development pathway to get there. And so sort of the the entry points, whether it's sort of surf clubs or surf camps or the amateur systems, we haven't had as much exposure probably as we'd like to have moving forward. But I think it's one of those things where, you know, and we've been talking about that a lot on the pod, um, certainly this year is the belief and, and Salema brought it up like a few weeks ago, which is 
you know, a bigger, more diverse tent in surfing is good for everything in surfing. It's, it's not just about like business or media or, or any of that. It's, it's also better for surfing. Um, so it's a really good question. And I know there are programs in other parts of the world, um, certainly in Australia, um, we have indigenous trials and, and the community is a lot more connected to the WSL office there. Um, so I think it'd be something that'd be rad to replicate around the world um, in a lot of yeah. ways, but it's a good question. Corey James Walker asks you, Pat, how does it currently stand to start the CT in December in Hawaii of this year? I like the specificity. Yeah, this is the, uh, <laughs> this is the question of the, of the moment. So Corey James Walker, great question. Um, look, it looks pretty good. Uh, I, I'm certainly not going to jinx it and say 100% we're, we're going, um, but we are focused on going. Um, everything we're doing every day is to run. There was just an email that I received from our crew in Hawaii that uh, Mayor Caldwell has approved the testing when you arrive on the 15th of October, um, so no more quarantine. That's a really positive sign for us, and so we are working every day. I Look, I, I'd like to say 100%. There's no way to say that in the world that we're living today, but as far as I am planning, we're going to be in Hawaii in December. Amen. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, that's a, I, I'd like to come out stronger, but I think that's as far as I can go. So, um, <laughs> uh, Dave Dreadbot asks, who do you think men's and women's will come back in the strongest form from what you've seen? Uh, well, that's a good question. And Dreadbot's a good person. I mean, we kind of talked about it a little bit. It's, it's hard to almost pare it down to one person. I think uh, across the board, the, just to put, just to not dodge the question, the best um, women surfing I saw um, during the countdown series, and I'm going to dodge a question, I guess, a little bit, was Caroline, Mark, Caroline Marks at Rumble at the Ranch and uh, Tyler Wright at the Tweed Coast Pro. Um, so I'll, I'll split the difference on those two. And then on the men's side, um, I mean, I, you know, Italo finaled in three out of the three events he entered, um, and he won two of them. So he seems pretty strong. Um, I like our Gabriel Medina missing man call i like that mm. and then a, a personal favorite of mine um just from sort of a stylistic standpoint is and someone i've been following for a while is ethan ewing like i i really like y- you get the world's best surfers in these events whether they're preseason events or ct events etc and the talent level is always so concentrated because everyone at that level is so so good it's really rare that someone jumps way above the pack you know and it happens and it's amazing you know john john at margaret river or something like that and you're like holy crap you know and, and I wouldn't put it on the same level as that because the conditions were what they were. But I think Ethan out at Cabarito is like yeah. pretty much unstoppable. It's some of the strongest, most fluid, fastest surfing I've ever seen. So I'm excited for him as well. Yeah, I think, you know, what I, we were talking about before is I think surfers who create their own luck. Um, and certainly you said John at, at Margaret River, Ethan at Tweed, Tyler at Tweed. Like those are the surfers who are going to be incredible and just really hard to beat. Um, so I agree with everyone you said. I would like. I would be cool to see how Kelly does next year, um, and I think John. You know, John started off 2019 in crazy form. Took the entire most of the year off with a knee injury. Came back and got a fifth at Pipeline. Um, yeah, will be interesting to see how he plugs into uh, the World Tour again. Yeah, I, I really. I mean, I, I've been saying this every season for a few seasons now, but I mean it every season. 
I think that when we start the championship tour again, it will be the highest concentration of world title contenders the sport's ever seen, both on the men's and women's. And side. the women's, yeah. I, I think I don't disagree. I think it's just getting sharper and sharper and sharper, and it's hard to narrow it down to like one person, right? Because there's so many interesting people. Yeah. Final question for you, Pat, from Ed Kirk eighty seven. Who is the most exciting new prospect on both the men's and women's competitions? I guess maybe you like rookies. Yeah. Um, gosh, you know, it's, it's, um, it's hard because we've maybe, cause we just, I, I look at new prospects as people we haven't seen for a while. We haven't seen a lot of people for a long time. Sure. Um, and so this is going to be a, a potentially boring one. And, uh, because I, I know Tyler's not a new prospect, but <laughs> we haven't seen her for so long that it's just, I, I, like, I'm actually really excited to see what she does this year. So um, I'm sorry, that's a bit of a boring answer because there's great, uh, great girls coming up. Um, but I just, I'm sort of infatuated with how, how good she looks and poten her potential to win another world title. Um, on the men's side, um, certainly, I think Ethan looks great. Um, I'm just, yeah, I, I think we've sort of beat it to death, but I think that group um, and, and Dave said it, the last thing is the, we have the highest concentration of world title contenders ever. I, I just, you know, there are your clear favorites, but I'm not sure that the gap is so broad as it used to be. Um, and, you know, we, we have another six, seven weeks before we're going to find out. Totally. Yeah. And I think even like on the true rookie side of things we talked about on the podcast too, like Jack Robinson's a true rookie. Isabella Nichols is a true rookie. They were both super duper impressive in the countdown series, which isn't always the case. Like sometimes rookie, the rookie class comes in here like these guys are going to get their brains beat in, but it'll be exciting. So that's it for our mailbag segment. Um, again, if you guys have a question you want us to answer about anything, you don't have to wait for the next one. You can follow us on Instagram at, at the lineup pod. Uh, once a month, we put out an Instagram story where we do ask your questions, but again, feel free to send them in whenever you like. So that's it. Pat O'Connell, thank you so much for coming back on the lineup and we'll see you soon. Thanks guys. So that's it. That's the lineup presented by Michelob Ultra Pure Gold's conversation with Pat O'Connell. I hope you enjoyed it. This episode is produced by Ryan Fawcett with art direction by Jason Penning. Thanks to both of them and thanks to our sponsors. We really appreciate their support. The lineup acknowledges that it is recorded and produced on the ancestral lands of the Chumash and the Keech Tugognar people. I hope you safely get some waves wherever you're at and we'll see you next Tuesday.